I was walking just fine. And when we got out of the pool, I was walking really funny and just couldn't walk very well. I do specifically remember being really irritated as a six-year-old that I was, not being able to climb up the ladder. And I had this terrible headache. When we arrived at the hospital, we were in the waiting room and I remember the nurse said that they would need to do a CAT scan, which, you know, pretty typical standard procedure for, you know, some sort of incident that you don't have with a child. In my head, I was, you know, six-year-old me was just in love with cats and I heard that they were going to skin a cat and I was freaking out. I'm like, no, don't skin the cat. I was in the hospital for the next three weeks and every day they would wake me up at like 6 a.m. or super early in the morning for a six-year-old especially and they would ask me what band-aid I wanted after the blood draw and I was just not having it then. So I was trying my best to just, you know, survive those three weeks. Every day was full of every physical therapy, occupational therapy, speech therapy that you could imagine. I had a stroke that paralyzed my entire left side of my body. I was not able to smile, so my lips would go up on the right side, but not on the left. So it was really intense therapy during those three weeks and afterwards as well. I remember the day before I got out of the hospital, we were trying to see if I could walk with crutches, which just was not possible. So I went out of the hospital in a wheelchair and I was in the wheelchair for, I want to say around a month afterwards. And after that month, then I was back walking. Hello, I'm Mark Goodyear. Welcome to Stroke Stories, the podcast that seeks out and hears from stroke survivors. Childhood stroke affects about five of every 100,000 children each year in the UK. Stroke in children from 28 days to 18 years old is associated with existing conditions, most commonly congenital heart disease and sickle cell disease. Other risk factors are infectious diseases, trauma to the head or neck, vascular problems and blood disorders. In this episode, we hear from Katie Sillison from Portland, Oregon, who suffered a stroke at the age of six. The other day I was actually chatting with my mom and I asked her, you know, I don't even remember if my dominant hand is the dominant hand that it is now, if it was that when I was before the stroke. So my memory is a bit fuzzy, but I would say that life was generally happy at that time. We had a family friend visiting from out of town and they had come and picked up my brother and I and we went to the park with this family friend and we went swimming at the park and then we were going to play around in the playground. And apparently when I went into the pool, I vaguely remember this most likely because I've been told it so often. We went in the pool and I was walking just fine. And when we got out of the pool, I had was walking really funny and just couldn't walk very well. I do specifically remember being really irritated as a six-year-old that I was, not being able to climb up the ladder at the playground, which is where we went after we went swimming, which is very irritating for a six-year-old. 
cannot be able to climb up the ladder for some reason. And I had this terrible headache. And so we returned back to my home. Our family friend was just a bit worried about me, didn't know what to do. And my mom was a single mom at the time. And she was doing her best to try and help her child. She gave me a popsicle. There's not a lot you can give kids who have really bad headaches, you know, when they're at that age. So tried a lot of different methods. Nothing really worked. So she decided she needed to take me to the hospital, got a babysitter for my brother. And that person, when they came over, decided they want to do a few like tests to see whether or not what was happening with me because they had a bit of medical experience. And I remember laying on the bed and then kind of like waving their hands, trying to see if I could tell how many fingers they were holding. At that point, I knew this was not okay. And so I distinctly remember lying to them. And of course, whether or not it was a lie or actual is all, you know, unverified and telling them that it was a different number than it was. We ended up getting to the hospital finally. And my mom, we drove just in a van. We didn't take an ambulance or anything. And when we arrived at the hospital, we were in the waiting room. And I remember the nurse said that they would need to do a CAT scan, which, you know, pretty typical standard procedure for, you know, some sort of incident that you don't have with a child. In my head, I was, you know, six-year-old me was just in love with cats. And I heard that they were going to skin a cat. And I was freaking out. I'm like, no, don't skin the cat. Like, let the cat live. Let me die. Like, why are you killing a cat for me? It didn't make any sense to me. And then the next kind of memories I have are when I was in the hospital for the next three weeks. And every day they would wake me up at like 6 a.m. or super early in the morning for a six-year-old especially. And they would ask me what band-aid I wanted after the blood draw. And I was just not having it then. So I was trying my best to just, you know, survive those three weeks. Every day was full of every physical therapy, occupational therapy, speech therapy that you could imagine. And I remember, I distinctly remember being very irritated that I could not give myself a bath. Like and that I could not wash myself was something that I was a particular humiliation. I remember like family visiting all the time during those three weeks and having my sister come and watch me once or twice so that my mom could go home. I was so excited. I remember when every day we would have like dogs come and visit and they would give me their little business cards and do some tricks or stuff. And I was so, so embarrassed by it. That's like the main feeling I remember as a child. Embarrassment is a huge thing and wanting to fit in. And I did not want anyone to take my picture. I couldn't, you know, control my bowel movements. So of course I was in, a, they put me in a diaper and that was just embarrassing. That's really the main word that comes to, to mind. So I was very adamant that no one took my picture. And then these clowns came in and these clowns, they did not respect my wishes. And they just went ahead and took my picture. Didn't even ask, just took a Polaroid. But now I must say, looking back, 
Years later, I'm so very thankful for that picture. Katie's stroke affected one side of her body. I had a stroke that paralyzed my entire left side of my body. I was not able to smile. So my lips would go up on the right side, but not on the left. So it was really intense therapy during those three weeks and afterwards as well. I remember the day before I got out of the hospital, we were trying to see if I could walk with crutches, which just was not possible. So I went out of the hospital in a wheelchair and I was in the wheelchair for, I want to say around a month afterwards. And after that month, then I was back walking. My gait was always something that has been, you know, followed by surgeons with gait analysis, gait training. I saw a physical therapist, an occupational therapist for half a day, every day of the week for a whole entire year after my stroke. So pretty intense stuff. I would need to leave school in order to go to these different therapies. And then of course I had supports in school as well. So after about a year, I decided that I also had to do first grade again so that I could get the amount of time at school that I needed according to our government. And so that meant that I I just was frustrated because I didn't feel like I had the time to give to the physical therapy that I needed to necessarily because I was in school. And so after about a year, we ended up reducing those therapies. I'm not sure by how much, but I do know that I was in school for the full day. I have physical therapy to this day. It's not an every week thing. Usually I go and I'll get, you know, some sort of exercises and I'll go through their program and then I'll kind of focus on those exercises for a few months and those stretches. And then when I feel confident with those exercises, I'll go back for more. That's kind of how I've worked it out. Equine therapy is something that I have found really beneficial. I did speech therapy for a long time too. So I think like the different supports that you've had are super important. We did have a great community around us that really helped my mom and my family through that period of time. I would say it was very difficult on my mom and, you know, coming home with a six-year-old and you have a three-year-old as well at home and being a single parent is really difficult. So some family members moved in. Although Katie has recovered well, her stroke remains a part of her life. It's never not affected my life because I walk with a limp and my left hand has never become fully functional again. I am able to smile now, so that's great. But I went to school throughout elementary and then I decided that I wanted to do homeschooling for middle school and high school. So I did that for middle school and high school, and I was pretty involved in a community that we were part of. And I did a lot of volunteering. My stroke really never has held me back. I went snowboarding when I was, you know, a kid, and that's something we did in Colorado quite a bit. I've hiked 14,000 feet mountains, and I've traveled, and I went to South America all by myself, enjoyed backpacking throughout Ecuador and Colombia and Peru. I've lived by myself since I was in my early 20s. And then 
I fell in love and have moved in with him and I have a dog that keeps me active. I'm not doing the snowboarding too much more, but I'm still hiking. So for me, it it's never defined me because I've never let it define me. Coming up, Katie, going in a new direction. Now I've switched careers into a field that actually helps provide services to those that are disabled. And it's behavioral therapy of of a sort. And with that, I've had to go back to school. So I'm currently in grad school. I'm in my final year and I'm also in a pretty prestigious fellowship at the moment and I work a job. So in each of those realms, each of those hats that I wear, I do have accommodations in order to accomplish that job in a way that does not further deteriorate my body beyond what I'm comfortable with. And what the loved ones of stroke survivors can do to help support them. Now I've switched careers into a field that actually helps provide services to those that are disabled and it's behavioral therapy of of a sort and with that I've had to go back to school so I'm currently in grad school I'm in my final year and I'm also in a pretty prestigious fellowship at the moment and I work a job so in each of those realms each of those hats that I wear I do have accommodations in order to accomplish that job in a way that does not further deteriorate my body beyond what I'm comfortable with. Although she was only six, Katie came to terms with her stroke quickly. When I was young, kids are very curious. So that's kind of something that I always knew from what I remember. And, you know, just kind of having to ask all the curious kids on the playground, what happened to you? What's wrong? And just, you know, pretty bluntly saying I had a stroke. Understanding what that was certainly came later. I would say I was making a lot of those work, giving my input to my parents regarding my medical decisions growing up. But when I was around 15, I think I started to understand the significance of what, how it affected me, especially I have a vivid memory of going to this gait analysis. They put like all these probes all over you and watch how you walk with lasers and then kind of like take this analysis of over how you walk versus how other people do. And I distinctly remember that and just being exhausted from the doctors, doctor visits. They've always been a part of my life. But then I knew that it would be something I would live with my entire life. It wasn't, you know, progressively as my arm became tighter, the therapy and interventions that I've used have had to adjust. And so for me, when I think about stroke and how it's affected you, I think stroke can be an ugly word for a lot of people. And so for me, I think when I say this happened to me and it is a part of my life, it is I am a survivor of it. That adjustment certainly came probably later. I would say around 20 years later. That's when I started having accommodations. And I did. I went to college 
and I became a teacher afterwards. And then in college, I think that's probably why I say 20 years later, because I went to college later after traveling in South America. And in college, I had to get my own accommodations. So those accommodations and going through that process and really advocating for myself with each professor that I had and, you know, saying these are the supports I need in order to accomplish what you want me to accomplish, to accomplish the requisites was super impactful. And it changed my mindset a little bit. And then now I've switched careers into a field that actually helps provide services to those that are disabled. And it's behavioral therapy of of a sort. And with that, I've had to go back to school. So I'm currently in grad school. I'm in my final year. And I'm also in a pretty prestigious fellowship at the moment. And I work a job. So in each of those realms, each of those hats that I wear, I do have accommodations in order to accomplish that job in a way that does not further deteriorate my body beyond what I'm comfortable with. I think work deteriorates all of our bodies in some way. But for me, it's more about just finding a way to do what I need to do. And there are a lot of supports out there, you know, like using read and write software or dictation rather than having to type because typing with one hand, that took me a long time to learn but it can be really exhausting on my functional hand. So those type of things have been really important for me to be able to continue. I don't think that there are limitations necessarily to what we can do so long as inclusion is something that we um, give priority to. Katie thinks you should prepare for the ups and the downs of stroke recovery. I think it's important to know that there are going to be bad days and to not beat yourself up over the bad days. The bad days don't define who you are. What you want to do in life doesn't have to have limits based off of what what has happened to you based off of your stroke. So don't put limits on yourself. That's the main thing for them. For caregivers, I would say it's really important to be advocates. You know, there are supports out there and there are there are communities that want to help we have a lovely stroke community around here and that's wonderful to be part of but to be in a community of other survivors is really important for for stroke survivors so i would say that that finding that community can be part of a stroke survivor's journey but also having family members just be like hey come with me come do this you know is important to include your loved ones in everything you do. Don't leave them at home while you go have fun. Let them go out with you and, you know, include them in things. Don't shut them up. So be those advocates. Get them the supports they need, whether that be medical or, you know, finding a community. Help with that search and just don't put it under the rug. Although Katie was very young when she suffered her stroke and it does remain part of her life, she's never let it define her. She's now working in the field of behavioural therapy to help other survivors overcome their post-stroke difficulties. 
Thank you for listening to Stroke Stories. And if you have time, please do recommend the podcast to people in your network that you think it might help. And rate and comment on the episodes you hear to help us spread the word. And if you are or you know of a stroke survivor and there's a story you can share, our DMs are always open on Twitter and Instagram. Please do get in touch. The Stroke Stories podcast was produced by Aidan Judd. I'm Mark Goodyear. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening.